The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. My prayer is that you will be strengthened by these readings. The insight in which Mr. Rushduni had is significant, not only then, but in today's day as well. But in no way should it replace your own studies in the Scriptures. And I do pray that you will take what you learn and apply it to every area of your life and thought. Wealth, Responsibility, and Cowardice Chalcedon Position Paper, number 93 In recent years, a very important fact with great repercussions in society has marked our society. At one time, for better or worse, men of great wealth exercised important powers and positions in society. Their gifts created charities subsidized the arts, and governed many areas of life. In more ways than one, men of great wealth set the pace. In this century, this has steadily become reversed. In part, this is due to the democratization which Alex de Tocqueville feared would subvert Western civilization and lead to a barbarization of society. But this is not all. There are other factors which are far more important which have been at work. There is a very clear religious dimension here which we must never overlook. The Bible is clear that wealth brings with it responsibilities. Our Lord sums up the meaning of the law and the prophets in these words, quote, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more, unquote. Luke twelve forty eight. The history of Western civilization and Christendom cannot be written apart from these words. Both the medieval church and the Reformation churches have unleashed vast sums of giving by their insistence on the duties of all who prosper, whether little or much, towards others. 
In every part of the world, such Christian giving has made an impact unequaled in all of history. It warps history to make no note of this fact. In recent years, however, some signs of change are readily apparent. The patronage of the arts is an obvious realm in which the difference appears. The ultra-modern avant-garde art, really pretentious junk art, has a patronage perhaps unequaled in history. To gain respectability, our corporations, great and small, buy such junk art for their office and corridor walls and to store in their warehouses. The corporations are the mainstay of the various purveyors of junk art. At the same time, television has on its, quote, public, unquote, channels all kinds of programs financed by corporations. Two things can be said. First, all such funding, including much funding of the left, wins no friends for the corporations. Their money is taken and they continue to be reviled. They, in effect, finance their own condemnation. Second, the corporations are careful to give little or nothing to Christian churches and agencies which are evangelical or reformed. Except for a few men, they act as though some kind of sin against society would be committed by such a gift. Some executives justify this, saying our shareholders are not all Christian, so it would mean problems if we gave such gifts. But many of their shareholders are Christians. Does their stand and faith count for nothing? Moreover, how many of their shareholders would favor their gifts to leftist causes? The problem lies elsewhere. First, too many corporate executives are men without faith. They may belong to, quote, mainline, unquote, churches, and in some parts of the country are expected to join them for public relations purposes. But they are still men without faith, often in churches without faith. Recent studies have shown that whereas most Americans affirm a Christian faith, a very great majority of the men in the communications media do not. Moreover, many are strongly anti-Christian. It would be interesting to see if a study of corporate executives would give like results. Of course, for public relations purposes, many such executives would perhaps routinely give dishonest answers. Second, without faith, a man finds courage drained out of his system. For him, then, the world is without meaning, and in such a world, what is worth fighting for? To such a man, easy and evasive solutions are the best. Not surprisingly, cowardice has become very common among corporate executives. Nowadays, to find a courageous executive usually means that he is a believer, whether Christian or Jew. He does not evade responsibility. He assumes it as a privilege. Most, however, have much to lose and no faith, and hence are timid and cowardly. As a result, most corporate leaders today are supportive of power, whoever holds it. They reject any stand on the basis of beliefs and morals of a pragmatic position. As a result of this lack of faith and this cowardice, men of wealth, have abandoned their responsibilities to society. Some such men have organized various councils to deal with a variety of social and political issues, but all these groups are models of impotence. If a model arises and a group of people become threatening, 
the, quote, solution, unquote, is to throw money at them. Hence, our foreign aid program, and hence, too, our insane bank loans to countries incapable of repayment. The solutions of these councils are the, quote, solutions, unquote, of bankruptcy, moral, intellectual, and financial. Because of this, we have seen the rise of underground man, of the lowest elements in society. They are the new revolutionary element. They are bold because having nothing, they have nothing to lose. And they are bold because they can smell the fear of them by the rich and also by the middle class. Moreover, because the rich and the middle class are marked by a weak faith or no faith at all, they are cowardly when challenged. The underground people sensing this push as much as they can. Once underground man was confronted with the challenge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, money is thrown at him in the vain hope of buying him off. Cowards find talk of conspiracies comforting. Conspiracies have always existed but men of faith have conquered them again and again over the centuries. Now, as someone has rightly observed, the homosexuals have come out of the closet and the Christians have entered the closet. Every kind of group grows bolder as the rich, the middle class, and the lower class show a weak faith and much cowardice. Cowardice is no respecter of class or status. Quote, Unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. Unquote. Our generation has been given much, and the Lord requires much of us. We have been schooled to demand much of others, however, and we demand to be saved. I am regularly amazed by the fact that people who have never contributed a penny to Chalcedon will write to demand hours of thought and work from us at their bidding. One such person wrote twice thereafter very indignantly to indict us for failing to answer to his every demand. As a professor of history told me about 15 years ago, we are witnessing the death of civility. Much is required of this generation, and the time of reckoning draws near. We have a calling to serve the Lord with all our heart, mind, and being. We have a work to do or a judgment to face. As against all that we face, we have the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16 If we know Christ, then we know the power of His resurrection. Philippians 3.10 So that we are summoned not to continue in weakness or cowardice, but in His almighty power. January 1988 the Tax Revolt Against God, Chalcedon Position Paper number 94. An important fact of the current American scene is the tax revolt, primarily directed against the U.S. federal government. No one knows how many people are involved in this, but the numbers are considerable. While not at all in agreement with this movement, I must add that it has in its ranks some of the finest and most dedicated men in the country. They recognize clearly the growing power of the state, the onset of totalitarianism, and the awesome waste of tax funds. For 50 years, the policy of, quote, tax and spend, unquote, has governed both parties. Their occasional good resolutions when out of office turn into forgotten rhetoric when in office. The evil is clearly there. 
writers like columnist Donald Lambro in such books as Washington, City of Scandals, 1984, document the prodigal waste of funds by Congress. As against critics who decry this waste, both parties execute their actions by citing the needs of the poor, when in reality much of the money goes to enrich the rich even more. We must remember, however, that Scripture gives no room for tax revolt. Judea in our Lord's day was deeply involved in a tax rebellion against Rome. In one instance, tax money was demanded of Jesus, who made clear his immunity from taxation as the Son of God, the King. But at the same time, he instructed Peter to pay it by means of a miracle. Matthew seventeen, twenty-four through 27 On another occasion, spies in a, quote, trick, unquote, question were used in an attempt to trap Jesus. In that day, anyone opposing the tax revolt lost popular support and was regarded as a tool or servant of Rome by the people. On the other hand, if a well-known person advocated the tax revolt, his arrest quickly followed. The question asked of Jesus was, quote, Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or no? Unquote. To answer, quote, yes, unquote, would mean the contempt of most Jews. To answer, quote, no, unquote, would mean arrest in prison. Our Lord called attention to Caesar's image and subscription on the coin and said, quote, Render therefore to Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. Unquote. Luke twenty twenty through twenty six. The meaning was clear. The coin witnessed to the fact that Caesar provided them with coinage, military protection, courts, law, public works, roads, and more. By their sins they had made Caesar their lord or sovereign. However, if they would render to God what God requires in full obedience to His law, then God would again be their Lord. In other words, the tax revolt was the wrong answer. It did not alter the moral and religious fact of their apostasy. They invoked the name of the Lord as churchmen do today, but they did not obey His law word. Charles Adams in Fight, Flight, Fraud, The Story of Taxation, 1982, gives us an excellent survey of the history of taxation. Even more, he sees the heart of the matter clearly, stating, quote, Taxing power is the guts of sovereignty, unquote, page 125. This is the key fact. Whomsoever we make our sovereign has then the right to tax us. Taxation is the prerogative of sovereignty. Today, the state is man's sovereign. It is Hegel's God walking in history, and hence it has unlimited powers because a sovereign cannot be bound or controlled by any law. According to Scripture, God is our Lord or sovereign. The most common term applied to God the Father in the Old Testament is, quote, Lord, unquote. And in the New Testament, quote, Lord, unquote, is the most used term for Jesus. The triune God is our Creator, Genesis 1, 1 1-31. Therefore, quote, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, unquote. Psalms 24, 1. It is God the Lord who therefore allots funds to church and state alike. 
civil government is limited to half a shekel for all males 18 years and older. Exodus 30, 10 through 16. To provide an, quote, atonement, unquote, or civil protection or covering for them. For worship, one-tenth of the tithe or one percent of man's increase was provided. Numbers 18, 24 through 26. The Levites were to use the rest of the tithe for education. Deuteronomy 33:10, And a variety of other societal services. Thus clearly, God does not allow His law for any centers of power in church or state. Both are to be small institutions. The one, a ministry or diaconate for civil protection. The other, a ministry of grace. Romans 13, 1, double F. When the problem of a power state develops, the key is not rebellion, but obedience to God the Lord. All things are under the government and the providence of God. We are in our present predicament because of our disobedience to the Almighty. Remember, the major tax revolt is not against the modern state. It is against God. It is significant, too, that God's law makes no provision for the enforcement of the tithe by man. Neither church nor state have the power to require the tithe of us, not to tell us where it should be allocated. An example, whether to Christian schools or colleges, educational fountains, missions, charities, or anything else, the tithe is to the Lord. The fact is clear that man cannot impose rules to govern God's tax, nor are required of us. God, however, can enforce this law in his own way, and does. In Malachi 3, 8 through 12, God tells us certain things about his tax. First, failure to pay it means robbing him, robbing God. God expects not only tithes from us, but also offerings. In example, gifts above and beyond the tithe. Second, failure to pay God his tax means that we shall be under a curse. This curse will affect us in the realm of nature, in the realm of civil government, and in every other sphere of life. In other words, in Malachi's plain terms, God takes a tax revolt against him far more seriously than the U.S. Internal Revenue Service does in cases of tax revolts against it. And God has far more efficient powers of enforcement. Third, God declares that his powers to bless us for paying his tax far exceed anything we imagine. It is the promise of life. All God's laws carry with them curses and blessings. Deuteronomy 28. The first promise in this regard, in example, first in importance, concerns the family. Quote, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Unquote. Exodus 20, 12. In Ephesians 6, 2-3, Paul stresses the life-giving fact of obedience to this commandment. The tithe is one of these life-giving laws when obeyed. This means that men and nations cannot expect God's blessing when they neglect His tax and laws. Why should God bless a people who disobey Him, or engaged in a tax revolt against Him, and who insist on declaring that His law has been done away with? It was because God's law is so important and unchanging that only the vicarious sacrifice of the Son of God could make atonement for us. Is the law now a trifle? Some insist that we are no longer under such laws as, quote, Thou shalt not commit adultery, steal, 
kill, bear false witness, unquote, and so on, only under grace. Granted that these are extreme antinomians, but what grace is there in any neglect of God's law of any disregard for it? Remember, our Lord declares, quote, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Unquote. Matthew 5.19 Did our Lord change his mind about this after the resurrection? If so, he neglected to say so. The tax revolt against the U.S. federal government is thus really a small matter. It will not affect the fundamental course of things, nor stop the growing totalitarianism. The key problem is the tax and law revolt against God. You can be sure that he does not take it lightly. February 1988 Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he has shown us by his pain.